It is so good to be here with you this morning. Um, Join me in a word of prayer, if you would. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who resides within us, who uh, teaches and directs and comforts and convicts and guides. Um, Lord, we ask that you would make us so aware of your presence here this morning. Father, get me out of your way and that... um, Just let your word do what only your word can do and change hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the book of the Bible, several things are referred to as holy, but there are a few specific things that I want to talk about this morning. There is a specific day that God called holy. It's the seventh day. He created the universe and everything in it, and then on the seventh day, He said, this is going to be a Sabbath day. He said, I'm resting. I want you to rest. We're going to set this day apart as holy. God spoke creation into existence out of nothing. And because of that work that he did, and then he rested, he wants us to treat that day differently. There is a specific bush, a shrubbery, that God called holy. It was because his presence was within that bush, caused the bush to burst into flames, and it was not consumed. Within that bush, he spoke to Moses, um, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He called Moses to come close, but he said, Moses, take off your shoes and don't get too close, because the ground where you're standing is holy. God's presence made the ground holy. It was to be treated differently. There is a room within a tent called the Holy of Holies. It's where God's presence resided with the people of Israel. The room was 20 by 20 by 20, a perfect cube. And there was only one man on one day allowed to go in that room. And he had to go in that room shrouded in incense in case he saw something of God's, too much of God's glory and holiness that would have just killed him instantly. God's presence made that space holy, and it was to be treated differently. In both the Old Testament and the people of Israel and the New Testament, those who call themselves followers of Jesus, that specific people God called holy, a holy nation set apart. When we come into relationship with God, when we come into relationship with Christ, his Holy Spirit resides within us. And as a result, we should act differently. The God of the universe is holy. He is like nothing or no one else. And it's super, super important that we get our minds as much as we can around this idea of holiness. R.C. Sproul, great theologian, talks about holiness as God's otherness. Usually the first thing we think about when we think of holy is moral perfection or the the absence of evil, which is definitely part of it. But Sproul suggests that God's moral perfection, the absence of evil, flows out of his otherness, his separateness, the things that make him completely different. One thing I found really interesting was in the New Testament, the word for holy that was in that verse that I quoted um, or referenced about a holy nation is the word hagios, and it literally means awful thing. And awful in the sense that in one being, 
there is perfection like nothing else in no one else. There's nothing else like it. And it's set apart and it should be treated with awe and with reverence. All of that, God's otherness creates his moral perfection. And I want to break that down a little bit. There is the perfection of God's being, kind of all the things that we talked about during the last four weeks. God exists in a perfectly unique state. God is one, but he is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is, is perfectly perfect. He has these attributes that we can be in awe of and revere, but that will never be ours. We will never be omnipotent, omniscient. We will never be sovereign. Those are all things that only God can be. God is perfectly loving, and so much so that it overflows into action, and he is perfectly just. Those are attributes. Those are the perfections of his being. The perfections of his being overflow into the perfections of his doing, creation, us, the ability to hold the universe. The Bible says that the universe is held together by the very words of God. The perfections of his doing. The perfections of his being overflow into the perfections of his relating. He is always for his glory and our good. Uh, Pastor John Piper said it this way. For God, praise is the sweet echo of his own excellence in the hearts of his people. For us, praise is the summit of satisfaction that, sorry, that comes from living in fellowship with God. God is always for his glory and for our good. God gets the most glory when we find the most joy in him. And lastly, out of the perfections of his being flow morality. His perfect morality, complete absence of evil. But morality is not a, morality is not a cosmic checklist of things to do to earn a place with the perfect being. It is a framework which, if perfectly adhered to, would allow an imperfect being to associate with a perfect being. But as we all know, we don't do that perfectly. And so there's, there's consequences to be, to be had with that. God's holiness, perfections of his being, perfections of his doing, perfections of his relating into this idea of morality. So as we think about that, God is holy. That makes perfect sense, right? Perfect sense. From uh, 1 Samuel, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Totally unique. But the, the kicker is that, that part about him calling a people to himself and calling them holy is that he calls us to be holy, which in and of ourselves, on our own, we are not capable of, completely not capable of. Um, hey, Nina, can you do me a favor? Can you bring me one of those gray blankets, please? Even God's call for us to be holy relies upon him, 100% on, on him. Thank you very much. Let's give Nina a big hand. So I want to I try to explain this with a little bit of a demonstration, if I can. Can everybody see this chair? 
Yes? Okay. God calls us to be holy. I'm not going to make it disappear. <laughs> that would be really cool, though, wouldn't it? All right. <clears throat> so last week, we got into a little bit of detail about how all of us, all of us are separated from God. This is us over here. God in his perfection is over there. And he, out of the overflow of his perfections, wants to be with us. Wants to be in relationship with us. Wants us to glorify him. But we have this separation. We went through this in kind of painstaking detail last week. All of us are separated from God by this thing called sin. And it keeps us from him. It keeps us from experiencing him. It keeps us from seeing him, from, from just being with him. And in order for us to be holy, God had to do something about it. We couldn't, this, you ever use one of those weighted blankets supposed to help you sleep, help you with anxiety and stuff? This is like, imagine like an infinite weight of a blanket that you could never remove by yourself. Again, out of the overflow of his perfections, God took the form of man and walked among us and lived perfectly and died innocently and rose triumphantly. And because he did that, the blanket is gone. The separation is gone. We have been given the opportunity to be made holy. God's initiative God's doing what only he could do. Now, it's up to us. There's still distance between us and God. There's still this person, call him Tom, has got his back to God. Jesus has done the hard part. But Tom hasn't recognized who God is. That's that's where we're going with this, right? God's holiness, when we're confronted with God's holiness and the fact that it's his initiative that calls us to us, right? We get turned around. And now we're overwhelmed with who God is. We begin to realize what his perfections are, the extent of who he is, his power and his glory and his might and his love, and his eternality, and his sovereignty. And it should cause us to just fall on our face. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit starts to do this. And we draw close to God. And the Bible tells us that God actually draws close to us. I want to give you... <clears throat> Um, a couple examples of scripture of what the reality of when that chair turns around, what it, what it, how it's described. Um, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first eight verses. V, you with me? All right. So the book of Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, this is kind of his commissioning, where God is setting him up to be his mouthpiece 
to the people of Israel. And this is Isaiah's encounter with the God of the universe. In the last year that King Uzziah died, oh, sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah has this encounter with, with the God of the universe. He walks into this room, and it's just, it's out of control. In, uh, in ancient times, in the days of the Old Testament, the size of the monarch's robe was indicative of his power. God's robe filled the throne room of heaven. There were crazy-looking angels with six wings flying around. And they were calling repeatedly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. The foundations of that room shook. When Isaiah realized where he was and with whom he was speaking, woe is me, I'm ruined. That was his reaction. He realized who God was and in the presence of God, who he was. And because God is for us, God is, was for Isaiah, the angel took the coal, brought it to Isaiah, touched his lips with it, and made him clean. And Isaiah's immediate reaction, God follows up with, who will go for us? And I was like, me, send me. I want to go. I've seen you. I want to tell other people what you tell me. Isaiah came to the recognition of who God is and who he is. There's a very similar account in the book of Revelation. It's the entire chapter of chapter 4. I would encourage you to read it because it's even crazier than, than this depiction. The throne room is filled with thunder and lightning. There's more, more angels and more, again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Try Haggion, right? The Haggios means holy. Three, in the Bible, repetition is a sign of importance. Hey, pay attention to me. A lot of times Jesus t would say something to his followers. Truly, truly. I say, hey, listen up. The only thing that's repeated three times in the Bible, holy, 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 God's holiness. The angels again. This time, there's 24 people in the room. And scholars tell us that 12 of them represent the 12 tribes of ancient Israel, God's holy people from the Old Testament. The other 12, scholars tell us, that represent the 12 of Jesus' apostles, representatives of God's holy people after Jesus came. When the angels start with their holy, 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 the elders, the fathers of our faith, fall down on their faces 
and bow in awe and in reverence. It says the angels never stop saying that. So the elders and the apostles are always on their faces in awe and of reverence. So in the book of Isaiah, that was like an encounter Isaiah had first person, and he reacted and responded immediately. John, this was a vision that John, the author of the book of Revelation, had, and he was kind of on the outside looking in. Again, scholars tell us that that is what's going on in the heavenly realms right now, that those angels are praising God, and those elders are face down on their, face down in awe and, and reverence. So there's an immediate reaction. There's an ongoing reaction. Some people in the Bible, it took a little bit longer. I want to read to you from um, the book of Job. This is Job chapter 42. Job went through a series of struggles and hardships that would be the undoing of most of us. And it brought him to the brink. And he was basically just wrestling with God. And because Job was able to, um, Job experienced what he experienced, it brought him to this place to recognize God in a way that he could not have otherwise recognized him. And this is Job's response. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is, who is that that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now I have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and in ashes. Job recognized who God is and who he is. Paul, author of the better part of the New Testament, had a similar, like, Job took a while to get to his point of understanding. Paul's was kind of, um, it built over the course of time. This is, this is Paul writing, and again, St. Paul wrote much of the New Testament, greatest um, speakers, preachers of all time, spread Christianity throughout the known world. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Although I am less, this is a different verse now, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, to the boundless. Least of the apostles, least of the people. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul's understanding of who God is led him to a greater understanding of who he is. You are probably sitting there thinking, so you want me to feel terrible about myself? No, not, not remotely. Right? There's self-hatred. Self-hatred, I would suggest to you, is not only counterproductive, but a sin. There, there's this idea of a godly sorrow that leads to a change, that leads to repentance. When we, when we come face to face with who God is and who we are, and we recognize him, and then we confess, we confess who he is, I recognize you for who you are, you are Lord of the universe, Savior of mankind, and I do not deserve to be in your presence. It is my, my hope and my prayer not to make anyone feel badly about themselves or discouraged, but to encourage you 
that the God of the universe is for you and that he has made a way to restore that broken relationship. No matter how broken, no matter how jacked up, no matter what you think is between you and God, that blanket is gone. And you can turn and face him and draw as close to him as he draws close to you. I want to step you through the idea of these responses, right? Recognize that's totally on, totally on God. He, he shows himself to us, and then we respond. The next thing would be the confession, just like Isaiah. Woe is me. Job and his explanation of, of who he was. Paul and his explanation of who he was. Confess Jesus as Lord and confess the things that we do that separate us from him. And the beauty of this is God's promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We confess and Jesus does the heavy lifting. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. I would encourage you when you think about the idea of confession. I grew up in a mainline denomination that confession was between uh, me and a religious leader. I think there's some value in that because the Bible tells us we can, should confess our sins to each other, but it's not the only way to confess. You can confess directly to God. You can confess to a close friend who you trust. And I would encourage you to be as nuanced in those confessions between you and God as you can. So you can receive as nuanced a forgiveness as possible. After you've confessed, you ask God to show you what things in your life need to change to make sure that you don't end up where you started. If it's a change of schedule, if it's a change of relationship, if it's a change of mindset. Repentance requires some work, right? Jesus did the hard work. We can't do what he did. But that process of drawing close to God requires some work. And then the last part would be some accountability. That you would, again, grab a close, trusted friend and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm trying to do it differently. Can you check in on me? See if I need some help. Shoot me a text. Confession, repentance, accountability. We go from recognizing who God is to confessing who he is and what, what he's done to worship. And when we talk about, when we talk about worship, usually, I don't, honestly, I don't remember every message that I've ever done where I've talked about worship I've said, hey, it's way more than just singing and what we do here on Sundays. It's a lifestyle. Absolutely. When you do laundry or you're in a sales meeting, it should be just as sacred as Sunday morning. However, however, Sunday morning is hugely, hugely important. When the people of God gather for the purposes of praising his name and building each other up and glorifying him, something happens. And the Bible tells us, right, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites had a battle to face, they sang. The, the musicians were out in front of the troops. They sang. When they were facing overwhelming odds, strike up the band. Let's go. Right? When, when God's presence, when they became aware of God's presence within, within them, David danced. Right? Sing, shout, dance. The Bible talks about kind of three different things. Our voice. Right? We can sing. Bible actually says make a joyful noise, right? So if you're like me, there's like, you have that kind of range of vocalness. We sing, we can shout, we raise our voice, right? We pray, we use our words to praise God for who he is. 
And we can also be silent. Sometimes when I'm made acutely aware of either God's awesomeness or his greatness in reaching out to me and my lack of awesomeness, it's just I'm dumbfounded and I'm speechless. And that's okay. Our posture, right? We can stand. When, when at a wedding, when the bride walks down the aisle, we all stand in honor of the bride, right? We can stand to honor the God of the universe. We can kneel and bow like the the elders and the apostles do in that uh, Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> Stand, kneel, bow. We can use our bodies, our hands, right? We can lift our hands to God, open up our hands saying, God, I want more of you, right? We can clap. Even if you're rhythmically impaired, you can clap. Just, you know, watch Angelo. Watch somebody you know who's got a little bit of rhythm. Try and stay with them. You can do it. I promise. Um, and play instruments. We are gifted to have such awesome volunteers and leaders who not only lead us in worship, but are our lead worshipers. Right? So we use our voice. We use our posture. We use our hands. One last thing about, about worship is Jesus' thoughts on worship. John chapter 4, Jesus says, there will come a time when people will worship in spirit and in truth. And I think that that has lots of, of meaning. We could spend a long time unpacking that. Um, and I usually don't like this phrase because it, it kind of leads to, to self-indulgence self and eyes on me kind of thing. But when it comes to worship, you do you. Right? Some of us the Spirit will lead us to tears in a moment of worship. It's all right. Some of us will want to sing louder. Some of us will fall to our knees. We're all wired differently. We all have different levels of expressiveness. Right? If, if you're not a dancer, don't dance. Right? If the Holy Spirit falls on you heavy, and you're rendered speechless, be silent and enjoy it. When we're struck with the truth of who God is, we're supposed to respond. That's how we define worship here at Crossroads, right? Responding to the greatness and glory of God and thought and word and deed as individuals and as a community. All right, so... We recognize God, we confess him, we worship, and then following Isaiah's example, we go. We're called, a, a, a natural um, response to the recognition of who God is, is to go and tell somebody, right? We, we go to a new restaurant or we see a movie, we're going to tell everybody about how great the restaurant was, how awesome the, the movie was. This is, this is, this should come from a place of Man, God is just awesome, and I need to share him with people for his, for his awesomeness. And uh, I want to share with you, kind of to recap the, our thoughts on holiness, let's think about 
God's holiness, and as we think about God's holiness, what that does, what, how that allows us, how it encourages us to go and to be his messengers and his ambassadors and to, and to represent him. The, the phrase, right, in that, in that verse that I referenced in 1 Peter, be holy because I am holy. It's scattered all throughout Leviticus, and it's God's call on us. Be holy because I am holy. God takes the initiative. Right? He spoke to Moses through the burning bush. He touched Isaiah's lips through the angels with the coal. Jesus stepped out of eternity into time and came to humanity. God takes the initiative. God is always, always at work around us. And we need to pray regularly, like daily, hourly. God, show me where you're at work that I might join you in what you're doing. God is always setting up opportunities for you to share who he is with other people. Always. It's God's initiative. Be holy because I am holy. God's holiness is this great and awesome and kind of mind-boggling thing, but it also is the means of our healing and our restoration, right? His otherness is what can, causes him to be able to do supernatural things, physical healing and emotional healing and relational healing. So we're, <clears throat> we're called to model God's initiative. We have this, this great this great gift that we can share with the world, that we can interpret the divine to, to humanity. Right? We can bring whole, whole, wholeness and healing and restoration to people who desperately need it and want it. We have this great gift to give. And we don't want to hold it all to ourselves. The people around us, especially here in Fairfield County, are surrounded by cheap alternatives of what God has to offer. They're, they're surrounded by these little glimpses of, of relief or, or joy, or they're, and they're temporary, and, and long-term, they end up doing more harm than good. We have the real thing. We can offer healing and wholeness and restoration that lasts we're, we live in an area of the country that thinks they have everything. We can offer an alternative, and that's the last part of this that I want to be holy because I am holy. Your personal holiness, my personal holiness, will make us different. Not like in weird different. We're not trying to be, we don't want to be weird, right? We have enough of church history of weirdness that we don't need to be weird, we want to be different because the God of the universe lives within us, right? We want to be different because we do things like we give generously and sacrificially. We want to be different because we slow down enough to spend time with Jesus, and we slow down enough to be interrupted. I, God is so funny. Um, I stopped at Dunkin' Donuts to get coffee and donuts for the team that was setting up this morning. And I, I'm like, I know, all right, I know how this works. I got to call. I got to call ahead, make sure it's ready, whatever. The phone just rang and rang and rang and rang. I tried like 17 times. 
no answer. I'm like, oh, go on the app. You can't order a box of Joe on the app. I'm like, all right, here we go. So I go into Dunkin' Donuts, place the order, and like they have this little pre-packed bag of creamers and sugar and cups. I'm like, oh, it's all ready to go. The guy's like, oh, yeah, sorry, we ran out of coffee. I'm gonna have to brew a new pot. I'm like, and like I was just not being very Jesus-y in the moment. And I'm riding over here, and, I'm, and, and the Holy Spirit is saying to me, you're going to stand up in front of a bunch of people and talk about slowing down enough to be interrupted. Right? Man, I wish I had the wherewithal in that moment to, like, have a conversation with that guy making my coffee. Instead, I'm, like, there tapping my foot, looking at my watch. Slow down enough to share that peace that we get from the holiness of God. I got totally sidetracked with that. And I don't even know where I'm going. Um, we, we can be different by going to those people with whom we disagree, those people who may not even like us, by going to them and blessing them and being around them and, and having conversations with them, not, not debates or arguments or trying to prove them wrong, but just going to them. And letting the love of God work in us and through us. <clears throat> holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It is who he is and is what we are called to pursue. <clears throat>